Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 90 of our 120-day Upper Room Prayer Campaign. And today we're going to see the power and the purpose of the wilderness seasons of our life as we praise God for our passing from wilderness into promise. Well, let's enter in in prayer first and foremost. God, we come before you and we humble ourselves, Lord, that you would overtake us and that you would use us in spite of us. God, you have a plan, you have a will, you are in control of all and you have been speaking through the entire service, Lord. So let your voice continue to come forth, God. You have spoken through the Sunday school, through the worship, and now through the word, Father, and to come even through Brother Scott, Lord, many vessels, one Holy Spirit. We are all members of one body, but you the head, even Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We give you praise, God. We welcome you. We love you. We thirst for you. We cry for you, God. We long to hear from you every day because without you, It's just a social club and a waste of time. So, Father, we humble before you to hear from you, to receive from you, to be encouraged by you, to be corrected by you. Lord, whatever your will, let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't have a sermon, but I have a word. Today we're going to talk a little bit. I'm just giving you a word. I realized something in, in the word he gave me that in all three messages that I spoke on Sunday mornings, it was a word in the wilderness. It was a word to where we were in a wilderness season. The first message that he gave me was, are you fully persuaded? It was a message of faith. Are you fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able to fulfill, even if he's got to raise someone from the dead to do it? Are you fully persuaded? In a wilderness season, the first thing that falters is your faith. You've got to be fully persuaded. The second message I did on a Sunday morning was about understanding and using your authority. The only way you're going to make it out of a wilderness situation is to stand in authority against Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, when he stood and said, get ye behind me, Satan. When he stood in authority against Satan, he began the process of coming out. Understand your authority. Don't be beat down. Don't die in the wilderness. Rebuke the devil. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and pull through. And the message that I have for you today, you're coming out. Amen. You're coming out of the wilderness. Sounds good to me. <laughs> if you handle a wilderness circumstance in your life right, you will come out yes, strong and mature. Yes. But if you don't, you will die in the wilderness. Yes, this is where all the great men and women of God are tested. It's where they're tried. It's where they're made. Or it's where they're defeated. The wilderness is a trial of faithfulness. He that endures till the end will be saved, the Bible says. Not he who says a sinner's prayer and then goes on about his business. Not he that every once in a while comes to a Sunday service on a Christmas or an Easter. But he that endures till the end, the same shall be saved. What are you enduring? You're enduring the wilderness. If you're faithful in the little things, He will make you ruler over much. 
You have to be faithful over the nothings that you get in the wilderness season before he will ever trust you with the much in the promised land. Only those who were faithful through the wilderness of the Israelites that left Egypt made it to the promised land. And despise not small beginnings. Your beginnings in the wilderness in tents dwelling like the Israelites are always small. But despise not small beginnings. There's a stripping, a learning, a growing, a faith building, a strengthening that will get you victory when you reach the promised land and will keep you from losing it to the attacks of the enemy once you have it. Matthew 25, verse 21 says, The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Got to be faithful over the little. When the Israelites left Egypt, all they had was tents, a little bit of livestock. But eventually they ended up with the nation. Be faithful in the little, because those that were not faithful were destroyed in the wilderness. All right, let's talk real Christianity. We like to hear the fluffy message. We talked about this in Sunday school. We like to hear the sugar. We like to hear that he will pour onto you the desires of your heart. Hold up. Not until your heart's desires become his desires. You've got to be stripped in the wilderness. We like to hear how he will do all these blessings and wonderful and prosperity and he will give you all of these things. A lot of people come to Christianity for selfish means and they're never actually saved though they might think or be told that they are because true salvation requires humility and faith and brokenness. The truth of the matter is is that when you get saved, that's when the war begins. If people were told the truth, they might last a little longer. Jesus told the disciples that I warn you that you will be persecuted. You will be hated for my name's sake so that you're not easily offended when it happens. It wasn't that they wouldn't be offended with the people that were persecuting. It's that they wouldn't be offended with him. A lot of times people get saved under this lie that it's going to be bed of roses, it's going to be all sugar-coated, it's going to be all blessings, everything's going to be great. And then when the first trial and attack comes, they get offended with God because they think he lied to them or he doesn't love them like he must love everybody else. And they die in the wilderness. Every true man and woman of God will face trials and tribulations and wilderness experiences. Don't think that there's something wrong with you there's probably that you're the only one that's doing it right when you get saved truly saved you become an enemy of satan and you enter the crucible you get on the potter's wheel or you enter the wilderness that's when it really gets hard the scripture says that every man or woman that will live godly will suffer persecution will not might will The parable of the sower talks about those that the seed of the truth of the gospel was planted in the hearts of people and they received it and it grew up and it started to bear fruit. That's a person that's saved and is actually producing good fruit, possibly even ministering to others. But then the seeds of of the enemy are planted. The thorns grow up and they choke it out. It says that some are planted on rocky soil and the sun comes and scorches them because when persecution arises for the sake of the word, they will not bear it. Persecution will arise for the sake of the word. Hard times will arise for the sake of the word. 
and you will be always truly led into a wilderness. You will not wander into a wilderness. And let me say this because this is a great tactic of the enemy. The devil will convince you that you have done so much wrong that God has abandoned you and he doesn't love you and he's given up on you. That is not true. Most times, unless you know you did something wrong, because let's face it, when the conviction falls, we know we did something wrong. We know what's wrong. And God will separate if you willfully move into sin, but you know that when that happens. When you are confused and lost and confounded and crying out as Jesus did on the cross, why have you forsaken me? And there's no reason for it. God has not left you. He has led you into a wilderness. We look at a crucible. A crucible, and I got this definition off the internet. I'm going to read you the definition of a crucible. A crucible is a container that withstands very high temperatures. It is used for melting and purifying that which is contained within it. Crucibles were historically made of clay because of clay's ability to withstand intense heat hot enough to melt or otherwise alter its contents. What are we but clay? We are the crucible. When you get saved, the temperature's turning up. The heat's turning up. You're moving into that wilderness experience. Why? Because he loves you. For your own good, to purify, to alter the contents of your heart. Because if he leaves you as he found you, you will not stay. Remember the parable of the sower? The enemy will come and steal that seed away. The hardness of your heart will cause that seed of truth to not fully take root and be plucked out. The things that we lust after, the desires of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, they will choke out the fruit. It's God's mercy that brings us into that crucible, into that wilderness, to change the contents of our heart, to make you worthy and able to enter into the promised land, because there ain't no junk going into the promise but also to help you to be strong enough to maintain it when the attacks of the enemy come against you to steal it away. We sing that song, Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you, because you are the potter and we are the clay. We are that clay, of, that crucible of clay, and he's got to change our hearts. So how does he change our hearts? By turning up the heat, and sending us into the wilderness. Jeremiah 29 says, 29 verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem into Babylon. The name of this message was, I have caused. The devil will tell you that you have strayed from God, that you're not worthy, that you can't be used, so give up and die in the wilderness. God doesn't want you. He said, I have led you into this wilderness, and there's a purpose and there's a reason for it. He that is faithful, that brought you into this wilderness, is faithful to bring you through it and out of it if you endure. Remember, the wilderness is your testing place. This Jeremiah 29, it's when the, the Israelites were being brought into bondage in Babylon. They were going to lose everything. This seemed really horrible. We're going to be slaves in Babylon. But we'll read later as you go through that God had a plan and a purpose in it all, and it was really to save them and to strengthen them. But he said, I have caused you to be carried away captive. In the next, pa- in the next chapter, in Jeremiah 30, verse 2 through 3, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee 
all the words that I have spoken unto you in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel to Judah. In other words, I'm going to bring you out of captivity and back to Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I have given to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So in 29, we see that he says, I have caused them to be taken captive. And in 30, I have caused them to be returned. I have caused this. And it was for a purpose. It was for their good. So we look at the wilderness experience. The greatest example we have is the Israelites. The Israelites were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. Egypt represents the world. It represents slavery to sin, to Satan. Pharaoh represented Satan. When we are in bondage to sin, that is representative in the Bible as being in bondage to Egypt. When they were delivered from Egypt, that would be the same as like our salvation. Boy, we're saved. We're taken from this cruel taskmaster, which is Satan. We are delivered. We are set free. And we're given a promise. He's given them a promised land. They're going to this place that is flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be their own. And they're thinking, when we come out of this, everything's going to be great. We're going straight to the promised land. All is well. But they enter into a wilderness. Who led them there? God led them into that wilderness. Because there was still a lot of Egypt in them. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of worldliness. There's a lot of things that we desire that is still in our heart, even once we have the promise that we can't bring into the promise. And it's got to be shed in the wilderness. It's God that leads you into the wilderness. Don't make your home in the wilderness. A lot of the times I think people lose their, their promise because they make their home in the wilderness. They were never meant to stay there. You're never meant to stay in that place, that hardship, that struggle. It's really just meant to strip you, to change you, change my heart, oh God. Everything you're going through is to give you everything you asked for. But you have to endure. You have to be faithful. He's watching to see how you handle the wilderness, to see if you're worthy of the promised land. Be faithful in the little, and he will make you ruler over much. Keep your eyes on the prize when you're in the wilderness. When you get saved, you're going to go into a wilderness. Every true Christian will, if you've truly been saved, the devil's going to attack. You're going into the wilderness. You will be tempted. Even Christ was tempted in the wilderness. Keep your eyes on Jesus. A lot of people fall because they start looking inward. Oh, woe is me. Look at my situation. I didn't get my promise. I'm not where he said. He's not done with you yet. Be faithful. He's getting you there. You can't enter in the way you are. You're going through the crucible. He's purifying. Keep your faith and your focus on him. Keep your faith in the promise. Whatever he told you, whatever promise he gave you, whatever he said he was going to do, be fully persuaded that he will do it. Don't lose faith. Keep your faith in the promise. Remember, this wilderness is not your home. Don't make it your home. A lot of the Israelites never made it to the promised land because they settled in the wilderness right outside the doors. How many times do we see Christians, they have a call, they have a purpose, they have a, a mandate on their life, and they get two feet from it and settle right outside. They never make it in. It wasn't God's fault. The promise was still there. They stayed in the wilderness. You're not meant to stay in the wilderness. This wilderness is not your home. Remember, you're only passing through. 
keep telling yourself and have faith. He's not a man that he should lie. He's faithful. No devil in hell can steal your destiny or your promise. Only you can give it up. You can still lose it. Esau lost his promise. He lost his inheritance. But nobody stole it from him. He willingly gave it up. The wilderness will tempt you. The wilderness will try you. And if you're not careful, the wilderness will kill you spiritually. God will not bring Egypt into the promised land. If, if you cling to it, then you'll die with it. But if you let it go, you will enter into promise. Flesh will die. Something's going to die in the wilderness. Either your flesh, either the bits of the world that you brought into it, or you. If you cling to it, you'll die with it. You can look at it as kind of like the, the process of removing chaff from wheat. You're, you're throwing that chaff up and the wind is taking that, that chaff away and the wheat's falling back purified so that it can be made bread. Bread is what? The body of Christ. We are what? The body of Christ. Wheat often represents Christians in the scripture. But if that wheat clings to that chaff, it's going to get blown away with it. Let go of the things of the world. This world is not your home. This wilderness is not your home. Prepare for promise. The wilderness works your emotions. When you get saved, God gives you promises. The devil is going to come against your emotions first and foremost. He's going to turn your emotions inward. He's going to make it selfish. It's going to make it about you. It's going to make it about your desires, about what you need. Look at what all the Israelites did. Why did they complain? They were always looking at what they wanted, what they needed. The devil was always working their emotions against Moses, against God, and for themselves. And it always led them into idolatry. And eventually, even when you boil it down, it was really Satan worship. And they had to be destroyed in the desert because that could not come into the promise. If you focus on yourself in that wilderness season, you will die. Because you're trying to keep yourself alive. You're trying to keep your flesh alive and God is trying to kill it. Don't focus on it. Let it go. But those that keep their focus on God will be delivered. The Israelites, if you really read through the story, one of the main differentiations between those that made it and those that didn't, those that didn't were constantly complaining and murmuring and griping, and those that didn't were praising. Those that were complaining, it's because they were looking inwardly at self. They didn't want their self, their flesh, to die. Those that were praising didn't care. Their eyes were fixed on Jesus, and they were coming through to that promise. Falling to emotions will kill you in the wilderness. Rebuke the emotions. We don't stand on emotions. We stand on the word of God. A differentiation of these experiences was the Israelites, of course, we know they complained, and then those that praised made it. And then we see an example of those that would not stand on their emotions but stood on the word of God as Jesus in the wilderness. No matter what the devil came and brought against his emotions, he never swayed. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Think not that this man will receive anything from the Lord. He stood on the promises of God. He stood on what God said. That's the essence of faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you haven't heard it from God, then you don't have faith in God. You have faith in something that you made up in your own mind. Or you have faith in yourself. You can't just believe hard enough and have something happen. That's having faith in yourself. You've got to hear it from God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when God says it, you can believe it. Yeah. Hold on to it. That is the essence of true faith. Matthew 4, verse 1 says, uh, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I want you to look at that. 
Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. This wilderness season that you go through, these hardships that you go through as a Christian, it's, you're led there. You're led there by the Spirit to try and to test. And in his loving kindness, he's constantly trying to explain it to you, to tell you what's going on, to tell you the right steps to take. And the devil's constantly trying to confuse you and tell you to give up. You're not worth it. God doesn't want you. He's abandoned you. He's left you in this wilderness. He doesn't want you in the promise. It's not true. He's creating a heart that can enter into promise and stay in it. When Jesus went into the wilderness, the first thing the devil did was try to tempt him to break his fast. That's the first thing he did to Adam and Eve, actually. Eat this. When you go into a wilderness season of your life, God's going to call you to a lot of prayer and fasting. And if the devil can get you to give up on your prayer and your fasting, he's already won. The battle's over. He doesn't have to do any more. Jesus was tempted to commit self-idolatry. The devil tempted him to worship himself. You can do whatever you need. Sustain yourself. If you're God. You know, a lot of ministers fall at this point. A lot of people fall at this point. Make it happen yourself. God's too slow. He's not bringing you to that promise. You have the power yourself. Do it yourself. Make it happen. Meddle. A life of true faith is a life without manipulating and meddling. Because when you take things into your own hands, it becomes self-idolatry because you're believing more in yourself than in God. And at the end, he was tempted to honor Satan. If you'll just bow down and worship me. You know, the thing is, is Satan actually had the power to honor the promise that he gave. He said, I can make you ruler over all of the kingdoms of the world because it is delivered into my hands to do so. The Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this world. He had the ability to do so. It wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't true. Christ was tempted by these things, but he overcame it. Why? Because he stood on the word of God, on his promises, on what he said, and not on what he felt, and not on what he heard from any other source, but from the Holy Spirit. No matter what, he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was fully able to achieve, even if he had to raise him from the dead to do it. Have faith in the word of God. Jesus rebuked Satan and worshiped God in that instant. And it brought him the victory, which brings us back to our lesson on spiritual authority. When you're in that wilderness season and you're to that point of absolute temptation, it's time to use your authority, stand up, rebuke the devil, and worship God. When it looks absolutely impossible and all hope is lost, it's time to praise. Praise is so powerful because, remember, Satan wanted to be praised. So he cannot stand when you praise God. He wants to be praised in place of God. He wants to be higher than God, and he's not. So when he is exhausting all of his resources, we said it in Sunday school, he is not omnipresent, he is not omnipotent, he is not like God. He has limited resources. He only uses it on worthy vessels that he is trying to destroy. I heard a pastor say once that pirates don't attack empty ships. They attack ships that have good cargo. If the devil's attacking you, it's because there's something he wants to steal from you. So when he comes to attack, stand with authority. Rebuke him. Fight him off. Be encouraged by the attacks. You know, I used to always tell people the level of resistance is a direct measure of the potential the devil is trying to stop. The more he fights you, the more of a promise you really have. Don't give it up. When Jesus rebuked the devil and worshiped God, he got victory. 
Satan doesn't want to waste his resources. It makes him so mad when he is trying to get you to curse God and to give up, and instead you praise God. He's just wasted his resources. He's so mad. And then on top of it, it jeers him because he hates the idea that you are now worshiping God and not him, so he flees. That's why it brings confusion to the enemy's camp, and it brings quick breakthrough and victory, and it raises your faith. When you're praising God, you are recognizing God's power and omnipotence, and you are minimizing the devil's, and it brings you faith. And faith will get you out of the wilderness. It's the only thing that will. Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 4, verse 9 says, And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. And of course, this is Satan speaking to Jesus. If thou wilt fall down and worship me, then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So in this wilderness, when he stood, no, Satan, I'm not listening. When those voices start coming, when those thoughts start coming, you're not worthy, God hates you, just do it yourself, take this into your own hands. You're not going into promise. It was all a lie. It's never going to happen. I rebuke you, Satan. Get ye behind me. I'm standing on the word of God. And praise God, Satan left. He immediately left. He won victory. The wilderness got a whole lot easier. Remember, rebuke, stand in authority, and above all, praise. When you focus on yourself, you're focusing on the problem. When you focus on God, you're focusing on the solution. And that makes all the difference. Don't focus on yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Yourself needs to die. Focus on God. He's the answer. He'll get you there. God wants you to make it through. Don't settle in the wilderness. This wilderness is not your home. You're only passing through. Tell yourself all the time, I'm not staying here. I'm not staying here. And God showed me this. The wilderness is the only real ministry school God ever sent people to. Throughout the Bible, the wilderness was his ministry school. You look at people in the Bible, John the Baptist. John the Baptist spent his life in Judea, I believe, which is the lowest wilderness in the world. And I heard Nathan Morris make this comment, and I thought it was real interesting. He heard it from another pastor, but I don't know who. The lowest wilderness place in the world is the place that John the Baptist came out of. The lowest. When we humble ourselves... He will take you from the lowest place. What's Danny always saying that they said about Bethlehem? What good can come out of Bethlehem? Jesus came out of Bethlehem. Out of the lowest places of the earth. You think you're in a low spot? You think you're in a low place? God is preparing you for greatness if you will be faithful to endure it. Jeremiah, Elijah, Isaiah, King David, they all spent their time in the wilderness. A lot of it running for their lives. Talk about an opportunity to doubt God's promises. You do what God says, and then all of a sudden you're being hunted. You're running in the wilderness. John the Baptist, talking about a school of ministry, they all learned how to do what God wanted them to do, how to walk in their callings in that wilderness season. They all got their words from the Lord. They sought him. They learned how to connect with him. They learned how to hear from him. They learned how to rely on him. They learned how to discern in the wilderness. John the Baptist spent tw over 20 years in the wilderness being prepared for a ministry that only lasted six months. But it was a ministry that changed the world. We want to spend 
a year in a Bible college and think we're going to change the world. Take the long time in the wilderness to get your heart right. So be grateful for the wilderness experiences. But if you're willing to humble and seek the Lord and learn the lessons quickly, you'll get through it a whole lot quicker. If you are faithful to endure and keep your eyes and heart fixed on Jesus, you will make it through. The wilderness will strip you. It will mature you. It will strengthen you. And it will equip you for the promised land. You're coming out stronger than you went in. You're still here. I'm still here. You're still here. You've not been overtaken in the wilderness, but how many people do we know have? And it's a very sad thing. If you will endure till the end, the same shall be saved, and you're coming out stronger than you went in. So who will be faithful? Go to Luke 16, verse 10. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? How many times do we see people going into captivity in Scripture and they have to be faithful to that which is another man's, to masters. They become captives. But when they're faithful in the little, God makes them ruler over much. There's a testing. We can look at Joseph in the coat of many colors. Who was more faithful? He was imprisoned. He was a slave. He was a servant. He became the ruler of Egypt. Second in command only to Pharaoh. Be faithful in the little, even in your captivity. Most times, God is positioning your captivity to help you save your captors because in reality, your captors are more in bondage than you are. Don't be bitter to your captives. You're there to help them. You're there to help save them. You're there to pray for them. You know, we used to read every Sunday morning before we started this book a little part from the, the uh, Book of the Martyrs. And how many times did we see stories of people who were imprisoned for their Christianity, beaten, tortured, and yet they were there praying for the people that were beating them, trying to get them saved, for the communists, for the Muslim, for whatever it is. That is true, having a truly having a heart of Christ. That is loving like Christ. That is the heart he is trying to get us to have in the wilderness. That heart that moves in humility and selflessness, just like Christ. Because all sin and rebellion is rooted in pride and selfishness, but all righteousness is rooted in selflessness and humility. Christ was a great teacher. He taught by example. And the greatest example he gave us was that of selflessness, love, and humility. If we call ourselves Christians, which means to be like Christ, then we have to at least strive to be the same. So I'm going to give you two examples in Scripture, and then we'll be done But I'm going to give you one example of those that were not faithful in the wilderness. And for that, we go to 1 Corinthians, verse 10, starting in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. And it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, all of our fathers, they had the same opportunity. They were all under Moses' ministry. Moses had a good ministry. He spoke the truth. He spoke the word of the Lord. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. 
for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's saying parallel, they were the equivalent of being saved. They were all on equal level playing ground. They all had a good minister, and they all received of Christ. They received that living water, that rock. They were all started out the same. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. God led them into the wilderness. He was trying to get them through the wilderness to the promised land. But those that clung to the things of the world, that clung to the things of Egypt, they were overthrown by the enemy. They succumbed to the temptations. Christ was tempted. Every Christian will be tempted in a wilderness season of their life. But only those that take their trust and their faith out of God and start listening to that lie will be overthrown. And sadly, most are, just like the Israelites, most were overthrown. Now, these things were our example. He's telling you straight up. It might be Old Testament, but it was put there for our example. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither to be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now that's interesting, they were destroyed of the destroyer. The destroyer is the exact same angel that is listed as being the one that was dispatched to destroy the firstborn of Egypt. The same angel that killed the firstborn of Egypt was the same one that came and took out those that fell because they were tempted of serpents. They were the same. Though they had been delivered out of Egypt, though they had been rescued from it, though they had been following this great minister, and though they had received of this spiritual rock that is Christ, they still were destroyed by the same destroyer that destroyed the wicked, sinful, pagan firstborn of Egypt. Because in God's eyes, they were no different. They had come out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of them. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed, lest he fall. When you get that salvation and you're moving, you get that deliverance from Egypt, you stepping out, you think, oh, I'm going straight to, to promise, I can't fall. There's no way I'm falling away. He said, take heed because you will. As soon as you think you can't, you will. Why? Because your trust is in yourself. When you know that you can fall, you will cry out to God. You will seek him. You will say, show me. He says that he will not put you through any temptation, that he does not provide a way out. But to get that way out, you've got to seek him. You've got to cry out. You've got to humble yourself. That's why those that humble themselves, he gives more grace. Grace is favor and power to overcome sin. But you've got to be humble enough to seek him and cry out and say, God, I don't know what to do. Give me your wisdom. Show me how to avoid this. And then he will show you the way out. There is a way out of every temptation. You do not have to fall to it. But when you think you won't fall, you will because you're not looking for that way out. You think you're strong enough to do it on your own. And you're not. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. So he's saying some fell, some didn't. But all temptations are common. So it wasn't in the temptation. They weren't greatly tempted more than the other. It was in their heart. What did they put their faith in? But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak unto you as unto wise men. Judge ye what I say. He's speaking with wisdom. Will you listen? And then one more passage. Go to Jeremiah 29. We're going back to where we started. That Jeremiah 29 scenario where they were told, I am leading you into captivity. And we're going to read. This would be an example of those who were faithful in the wilderness. And we see when we actually read through this, you know, we all hear that quote. Everybody loves to quote the Jeremiah 29:11 promise. I know the end that I have for you, the plans that I have for you to give you an expected end. Everybody loves it. Oh, God has a plan for us, and he's going to get us to the end that he wants us to. But they don't read the context around it. It takes you through a wilderness before you get to it. So we're going to read, and we're going to see what happens when you stand faithful through that wilderness season and how glorious it is when he takes you out of it. And he even explains to them the dangers of them not having gone through it. And then you begin to realize that a lot of the hardships and trials that you go through as a person, in a ministry, as a family, it's really for your own protection in the end. It's for you. He is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's read, starting in verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take ye wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. In other words, you're going to be in this wilderness for a while. That ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray unto the Lord for it. Wherever he plants you, even if it's in a wilderness place, pray for it. You're in that terrible job, you're there to pray for it. This reminds me of Paul and Silas when they're taken captive and they're actually in there, they're getting beaten, but they're rejoicing because they know they're there to liberate their captor. He's more bound than they are. They're more free than he is. Pray for that place in that city in which you are positioned, in that community. Pray for your nation. Pray for wherever it is that you are located. God has a purpose. For the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. In other words, don't think any different. It doesn't matter what you dream. It doesn't matter what soothsayers tell you or even prophets. What I'm telling you is the word of the Lord, and this is how it's going to go down. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. It's temporary. It's just a wilderness season. And perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know what I'm doing 
and I'm going to give you a good end. Just trust me. You won't be there forever. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. The wilderness was to get them to search for him with all of their heart, to get them to take the things out of their heart that was separating them from him. It was his love and his kindness to bring them closer into true relationship with him. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. They weren't in true relationship. And he's saying, I love you enough to bring you into this place to be stripped so that I can come into true relationship with you so that I can use you because I have a purpose for you. And even in the wilderness, I have a purpose for you. If you will be obedient, I will use you there. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive, because ye have said, The Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon. Because you have said, The Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon. They went into their wilderness situation. They didn't look upon their own circumstances, but they were obedient to pray for the people that they were under, to pray for their circumstance, to pray for the situation, and God used them. He raised them up prophets of God in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of a heathen nation. He had purpose not just for them, but also for the Babylonians. It was his great mercy not just on them, but on the Babylonians. Again, like Paul and Silas, it was his mercy not just on Paul and Silas, but on the the guards and the people in the prison. Know that thus saith the Lord, the king that sitteth upon the throne of David, and of all the people that dwelleth in this city, and of your brethren that are not gone forth with you into captivity. Now, he's saying, know this, those that did not go into captivity, those that refused to go into that wilderness experience, oh yeah, they, they, they received the deliverance, they know the God, they know the circumstance, but they did not go into this wilderness experience. This is what happened to them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten. They are so evil. And I will persecute them with the sword and with famine and with the pestilence and will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and to be an astonishment and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations whether I have driven them because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord, which I sent unto them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them. But ye would not hear, saith the Lord. They refused to go into this wilderness circumstance. Nope, nope. I believe in God, but I'm going to stay where it's easy. I'm going to believe in this prosperity stuff. I'm going to believe that he chooses to bless me, that he doesn't want me to go through anything difficult, that he's not sending me out to be concerned about anybody else but me. He said that they were so vile that he sent the sword upon them, and they were of no use for anything. They were like rotten figs. They were spoiled. They didn't allow him to do the work in their heart that would make them of use to the kingdom. What he planted in them died in them. They were like the unfruitful servant. The Bible talks about the parable of the talons. When God gave him money and he didn't do anything good with it, he just let it sit there and rot. That's what they did. The word was planted in them, but they did nothing good with it. They didn't pursue. They didn't build their faith. They didn't witness to others. They didn't go out. But those that were faithful to go into this wilderness, he protected them. 
He strengthened them. He used them in the wilderness, and he brought them back stronger than they left. So stop complaining about the wilderness. Start thanking God for positioning you for promotion. Everything you are going through is to prepare you for everything that you asked for. Have faith and praise him into promise. Remember, you are coming out. God gave me a dream, and he confirmed it in many words and all of this stuff. Coming out of the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness. And I believe it, and it's when you come to realize what the wilderness actually is and you begin to thank him for it, start repenting for all the complaining that we do because really we pray for things, and then when we get it, we start complaining about it. You're not going to progress from that point. Repent of the complaining. Be grateful. Praise him. You're coming out. So I want you to repeat after me. I'm coming out. I'm coming out stronger than I went in. Thank you, God, for your promises. And for preparing me to walk faithfully in them. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now. And we repent, Father. Let every heart repent corporately, Father. And we're going to open the altars up in a minute. But I just pray a corporate prayer, Father, of repentance, Father, for complaining in the wilderness because every single one of us has does it, has done it, God. We have all asked for things from you. And when you began to take the process that would prepare us to receive it, we did nothing but complain, Father. We fought and we clung to the flesh. So, God, we just give you praise this morning. We praise you in the midst of the storm. We praise you in all that you're doing. And we choose to let go of the flesh, of the things of this world, of the things of Egypt, and we receive you, God. We set our eyes on you, Father, and we say, speak to us, draw us, God. Draw us close to you and show us the quickest path to that promise, God. We thank you for showing us these things. We thank you that the things that you have hid from the wise men of the world, God, you have revealed unto fools, Father, and unto children before you, God. We give you praise that you encourage your people, Father, even in this wilderness process, even when we don't know what's going on, Father, you give that loving kindness to constantly nudge and encourage and move us straight forward into that promise so we praise you God for the promised land we praise you for the trials that we go through that is preparing our heart to enter in it we praise you God that you don't want us to lose it once we get it so God we thank you for all that you do that will get us there we thank you for divine appointment we thank you for bringing us full circle in all the trials of our life God to bring us into that perfect promise in Jesus name amen I have one scripture that one and that's coming from the first chapter, the first chapter of the book of Galatians. I want to read that. Amen. 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 Oh, do you feel the anointing of God in this house? Amen. I said, do you feel the anointing of God in this house? Uh, this is what Paul said. Paul was talking about, he said, in the 11th verse, he says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. This is what he said. But by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past, and the Jews' religion, how that often, that, 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 that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals in mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his, by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, 
immediately, that's what he said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. You know why he went into Arabia? God took him into Arabia because there was some stuff, and this is what she was talking about this morning. There was some stuff in him that God needs to get out of him for God to do the work. And God, every one of us needs to have an Arabia that God takes us into and stay there until God does the work, but he doesn't take you there to keep you there. That's right. When God had finished that work, God brought him out of Arabia. And three years later, he went to Jerusalem and met with Peter. Amen? Amen. God want to bring you somewhere. But first of all, he's got to get some stuff out of you. Hallelujah. Amen. And and when and when you're in your Arabia, don't get to crying. Don't get to bellyaching. Amen. Amen. But just praise him and rejoice because God is refined in you. Amen. And when you get through with him, I say when you get through with you, you'll be a vessel that he can use. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.